Hi, this is Peter Schiff. It is Friday, April 29th, 2016. This is the final trading day for the month of April, and I think this will end up being a very pivotal month with respect to the markets, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later in this video blog. I want to get everybody up to speed on some of the things that happened earlier this week. You know, it's been a long time since my last video blog, and hopefully people have been tuning into my podcasts for more frequent updates on what's going on in the economy and in the markets. But I want to start this video blog by talking about the Federal Reserve's decision on Wednesday not to raise interest rates, although nobody really believed that they would, at least you know, leading up to the, to the meeting. But early in the, in the year, of course, just about everybody believed that by April, the Federal Reserve would have raised interest rates at least one more time, given the fact that they began the tightening cycle in December with the first quarter point rate hike. But what's more important than the Fed's failure to raise rates again was what they said in their statement or what they wrote in that statement with respect to the idea that future rate hikes are still forthcoming. The Federal Reserve is still clinging to the false narrative that this recovery that has basically already ended is on track and that the Federal Reserve will be raising interest rates at some point later in the year maybe two or three more times, they just decided not to do it in April for whatever reason, but somehow they're still planning on additional rate hikes. And the only acknowledgement that Janet Yellen or the Federal Reserve made with respect to the economy was that growth was slowing. Now, that is a dramatic understatement to say that growth has slowed. If you go back to December, when the Fed confidently announced their first rate hike, they were forecasting that the economy would grow by about 3% in the first quarter of this year. Well, yesterday, we got the government's first estimate for the growth rate in the first quarter. And it came in at just one half of 1%. Now, you can hardly refer to that as a slowdown when pretty much all of the growth that the Federal Reserve believed was going to materialize evaporated. 0.5% is considerably below what the Fed was looking for. I don't know how they can simply say that growth is slowing, growth is non-existent. And as a matter of fact, the New York Fed, which just recently began issuing its own GDP Now forecasts, something that the Atlanta Fed had been doing for some time, they came out today and they are now forecasting that the second quarter will be just 0.8%. So again, if you even average the two quarters out, you barely have any economic growth. And I think they're still overly optimistic. And as a matter of fact, I think the 0.5 that was reported on Thursday for the first quarter, I think by the time they revise this number, it's going to be negative. And I also believe that the second quarter is going to be worse than the first quarter. And you know, the first quarter, even if the 0.5 holds, That represents the third consecutive quarter where GDP has declined. And in fact, the fourth quarter of last year, it was 1.4. So 0.5 is less than half of the most recent quarter. And I think that trend is going to continue. There's still a lot of people out there that believe we're going to get a rebound in the second quarter. Because after all, we got a rebound in the second quarter in the prior two years. But the New York Fed is already throwing cold water on the idea that there's going to be a rebound. And of course, what nobody seems to be talking about is the main reasons that the first quarters were so weak 
in the prior two years was because we had very, very cold winters. Well, we just had the warmest winter in over 120 years. So we're not going to bounce back from anything. In fact, I believe the winter was so warm that we probably pulled forward some of the economic activity that might otherwise have happened in the second quarter. So I think the second quarter is going to suffer because of that. And also, we had big builds in inventories in the prior two uh, second quarters. That's not going to happen this quarter. And our trade deficits are even bigger now than they used to be. So this could be a very, very weak quarter. What's also very interesting is look at the GDP deflator. In the fourth quarter of last year, when we had the 1.4% GDP growth, the government told us that inflation was running at 0.9% on an annualized rate. Now, I didn't believe that either. But in the first quarter, the government is saying that the annualized rate of inflation fell to just 0.7. And because it was so low, they were able to manufacture GDP growth of 0.5. But think about this. In the fourth quarter of last year, I think gasoline prices, not gasoline, oil prices, were down about 16% on the quarter. In the first quarter, gasoline, or oil prices rather, were up 3.5% on the quarter. Well, if we didn't get the benefit of plunging oil prices in the first quarter of this year, if in fact oil prices rose, how is it that the inflation rate was so much lower in the first quarter of this year than it was in the fourth quarter of last year? Because gasoline or oil prices aren't the only prices that are rising. You know, I just read that rents year over year now are up 8%, 8%. That's four times the so-called 2% inflation target. But we know food prices are going up, utility costs are going up, healthcare costs are going up. So how is it that the inflation rate in the fourth quarter of this year was lower than it was in the fourth quarter of last year? I don't believe that for a minute. I think the inflation rate is actually quite a bit higher. And if that is the case, then already the GDP is in fact negative. It's not up 0.5. But I think as we get more negative economic data that comes out for the month of March, which we we didn't quite have yet when we came out with the original estimate, that we're going to see a downward revision to a GDP growth in uh, in uh, the second quarter, and or for the first quarter. And by the way, oil prices were up much more. They were up 20% in the month of, of April. So they started going up in the first quarter, but we really accelerated that trend in the month of April as the dollar began to weaken. So I think that we're already in recession. It's just that the Fed hasn't acknowledged it yet. And one of the reasons that Janet Yellen is so reluctant to come clean and acknowledge how weak the economy is, is because number one, it undercuts President Obama, who's going around the world uh, claiming that the United States has the strongest economy in the world when we're in fact in recession. Even Europe is growing faster than the United States, yet somehow President Obama wants to claim credit uh, for saving the U.S. economy and producing all this non-existent growth. Well, the Federal Reserve doesn't want to peddle fiction, in the words of President Obama, so it doesn't want to basically undercut his message of an economic recovery by acknowledging that it's over. And for the same reason, the Fed doesn't want to take the wind out of um, Hillary Clinton's sails because she wants to sail into the White House based on the prosperity that was supposedly created by President Obama 
Uh, and so Janet Yellen doesn't want to undercut her message because she wants to run on you know four more years and the Fed can't admit that we're back in recession. And also the Federal Reserve has already claimed credit for success. They want to pretend that their monetary policies uh, created this real recovery. They don't want to acknowledge it ended. So they have their own credibility on the line. They want to pretend that the economy is still, uh, is still recovering. Another important development on the week was the Bank of Japan's failure to meet market expectations for more quantitative easing or maybe an additional rate cut that would take interest rates further into negative territory. And when the market didn't get what they anticipated, we had a huge rise in the value of the yen. And in fact, I think not only is Japan not going to deliver any additional stimulus, but I think neither is Europe. I think that additional stimulus is already proving to be counterproductive. Meanwhile, I think it's the United States that is going to launch a whole new round of easing. I think they're going to be lowering interest rates back to zero and launching QE4. The only unknown is whether they're going to do it before or after the election. And it depends on how quickly uh, the economy or the markets unravel because Yellen would rather not have to come to the rescue of the economy before the election because admitting that it needs rescuing is going to be a problem for Hillary Clinton and it's going to help Donald Trump. And I know that Janet Yellen does not want to see Donald Trump as the next president. So that is the fine line that she's trying to walk, whether she admits the economy is weak enough to need stimulus or whether she puts the stimulus anyway because it's so weak, she's worried about the economy being too deep in a recession when voters go to the polls. And in that case, the Federal Reserve simply has to come up with some kind of excuse to try to blame things on the global economy. But the problem is the situation is already turning around in the global economy. The real problem in the global economy is the United States. And if you look at the action in the markets, people are just starting to figure this out. But it's still kind of like a deer in the headlight moment for I think a lot of traders, a lot of the people who are managing money on Wall Street, they've been getting beaten up this year. A lot of the big players are losing a lot of money because they're positioned for the wrong outcome. Everybody has believed this narrative of a legitimate recovery where the Federal Reserve will be normalizing interest rates. I've known all along that that was a farce, that the economy hadn't recovered, uh, that the Federal Reserve had in fact prevented a recovery, that the U.S. economy is actually in worse shape now than it was in 2008. So rather than a recovery, we actually got sicker. We just covered up some of the symptoms, but we have exacerbated all the problems. And President Obama, he hasn't presided over recovery at all. He's presided over a bigger bubble than his predecessor. And in fact, the economic disaster that awaits his successor is going to be much bigger than the disaster that he inherited from George Bush. And he spent the entire last, you know, almost eight years of his presidency basically blaming everything bad on Bush and claiming that he got us out of that mess. Well, the reality is he has gotten us into a much bigger mess and whoever uh, succeeds him is going to have to deal with it. It'll be interesting, though, if it ends up being Hillary Clinton, is she going to still blame the disaster on Bush and just forget about the eight years of Obama and try to blame the recession that she's going to inherit as some kind of leftover residual recession from the Bush years, as if President Obama had actually nothing to do with it when his policies simply, simply exacerbated 
all of the problems. He just doubled down on the failed policies of Bush, but then he added a lot of other policies that were even worse. And that is why this so-called recovery has been the weakest recovery that we've ever had. And in fact, if the truth were known, if the numbers weren't cooked by artificially low inflation rates, uh, we would have a much, much weaker recovery or we'd, we'd have no recovery at all. But the people who are voting for Bernie Sanders or voting for Donald Trump, they are living in this recession, this phony recovery that tr President Obama and the Federal Reserve want to take credit for. But meanwhile, the investors are just starting to question this narrative. And I think it's going to be a shock. But I think in the next several months, you're going to see the trends that really developed in the last few months accelerate. The U.S. dollar closed on the low of the month. The dollar index barely held a 93 handle. I think we closed about 93.05. The dollar is weak across the board. I think year to date now, the dollar index is down about 6%. Nobody expected this. Nobody, at least nobody uh, in you know, the conventional uh, Wall Street money managers, hedge fund managers, they all expected the opposite. The same thing with gold. All these guys were short gold at the end of last year. Look at where gold is. Gold was up another 5% on the month. It closed the month on the highs, just shy of 1300 Silver, new high for the year, closed the month on the highs. We're getting close now to $18. Look at gold stocks. Gold stocks were up another 30% on the month. I mean, there are many gold stocks uh, that have now doubled this year. Some have tripled. Some have quadrupled. Nobody on Wall Street owns these stocks. In fact, when I watch uh, CNBC, all anybody is talking about is how to short them. They look at how much they've gone up and they think, oh, they must be a great short. No, they're not a great short. They're still great buys. Yes, they've gone up very sharply, but it's because they never should have gone down in the first place. Because the only reason they went down is because everybody on Wall Street was convinced that the Fed was going to keep raising interest rates because we had such a strong recovery. Well, that wasn't true. We didn't have a strong recovery and the Fed can't raise interest rates. They tried it once. They raised interest rates a quarter of a percent in December and all hell broke loose. We had the worst start of a year to the stock market in history. And the only reason the stock market reversed was because the Fed reversed. The Fed backtracked on its rate hikes, but Wall Street was still clinging to the narrative that, okay, the Fed is going to raise rates at some point, just not as, as often as we thought or as soon as we thought. The recovery is still here, but maybe we just need a little bit more stimulus. But what they're starting to figure out now is that the recovery is already over, if you're even going to call it a recovery. And none of the rate hikes that everybody baked into the price of gold or to the dollar are going to materialize. In fact, the Fed is going to reverse that one hike. I said before that if they did it once, it'd be one and done, that that was the end of the cycle, not the beginning of a cycle. They go back to zero. They're going to launch QE4. That means the balance sheet doesn't shrink. It just explodes to new highs. And we might even get negative interest rates. So gold has to reverse all those losses. Gold stocks have to reverse all those losses. The dollar has to surrender all those gains because it never should have made those gains because they were built on a false foundation. So as people see how gold stocks are rising and they think, well, we have to short them, they still haven't quite figured out why they were rising. They're just making up for ground they never should have lost because it was all based on a false premise. But people are now starting to question that. So we're seeing the dollar go down. Look at the Chinese yuan. That's another trade that all the hedge funds plowed into. 
They all got short to Yuan late last year, early this year. There were all kinds of headlines. The next big short, the trade of the century. What did I say as soon as I read those reports? I did it on my, on my uh, podcast. I said, these hedge fund managers are going to get clobbered. They've got it completely backwards. Uh, the next big short is the dollar, not the yuan. And yesterday, the Chinese yuan had its biggest rise, I think, in one day since 2005. And this is very problematic for the dollar because the Fed's about to launch QE4. The Chinese are not going to prop up the dollar like they did when they launched QE1. Now, the only reason the dollar didn't get crushed when we did QE3 was because people thought that was the end of it. This is the last time they're going to do it. And they started factoring in the successful conclusion of the program. But when they have to launch QE4, that proves that QE3 didn't work, which proves that none of the QEs ever worked. And if people realize that, wait a minute, if we couldn't end this program after QE3, we can never end it. If the Fed couldn't shrink the balance sheet when it was $4.5 trillion, how is it going to shrink it when it's much larger than that, which it will be much larger than that, when they have to launch QE4? Also, if you look at the economic data that came out today, it's already going to throw cold water on this idea that we're going to get a rebound in the second quarter. Although, again, as I said, the New York Fed has already done its part. But we got the personal income and spending numbers for March. And this, in fact, might take a little off of the the uh, first quarter numbers, but they were looking for personal spending to be up two-tenths of a percent, which in and of itself is is nothing to get excited about. But we didn't even do that. We were only up 0.1%. But we did get the first look at the PMI. We got the Chicago PMI for April out today, and they were looking for 53.4. Instead, we got 50.4. I mean, barely above the expansion level, three whole points below what the analysts were looking for. So if we've already got this slowdown coming in in the second quarter, how is the Federal Reserve going to deliver on the rate hikes that everybody believes are coming? And in fact, I think as we get more negative economic data later in this month and next, that's going to show that we are in fact in a recession, the election is coming up. I mean, when we get the final information, the final numbers for the second quarter, it's going to be July. I mean, we're going to be in the summer season. There's going to be uh, the conventions coming up. The the election is going to be in November. How is the Federal Reserve going to start raising interest rates into that? But the key is going to be when the Federal Reserve has to acknowledge. It has to take rate hikes off the table because you've got earnings collapsing. In fact, look at what happened with Apple. Apple, I think, is down about 13% so far uh, this month or in in the month of April. That's a huge decline for a bellwether stock. And there are a lot of other key stocks that have been reporting disappointing earnings. So earnings are coming down. Growth is coming down. Yet the Fed is still pretending that it's going to raise rates. We did have this big relief rally in the stock market because the rate hikes that everybody was bracing for didn't happen. But now that growth is slowing, earnings are slowing, and the Fed is still pretending that they might raise rates, I think this rebound in the market could be over and we might be going down again. And of course, the Federal Reserve does not want a bear market in an election. So how is the Federal Reserve going to save the market the next time? The last time they saved the market by simply postponing the next rate hike. But a postponement is not going to be enough. The next time the market goes down, the only way they're going to stop it is not only by calling off the rate hikes, 
but by cutting rates and going back for, for QE4. And when this happens, the people who think gold is rising fast now, the people who think gold stocks are rising fast now, they ain't seen nothing yet. Where do you see how much faster these markets move when people figure out how wrong they are? Because again, most people are still like the deer in the headlight. They've lost a lot of money, they've bet wrong, but they still haven't figured out that they bet wrong. But the market is now telling everybody that that is the case, but they haven't capitulated. People are still holding out hope that they were right. Look at Goldman Sachs. They're still out there calling for shorting gold, buying the dollar. The Fed's going to hike interest rates three times this year. When are they going to admit that they've got it wrong? You know, for the last several years, it looked like I was the one that was wrong, right? Because the markets were going in a direction that was against my investment strategy. The dollar was going up, gold was going down. But why was that? It was because very few people believed what I believed. They all believed in this phony recovery. They all believed it was real. They all believed the Federal Reserve was going to do something that I knew they weren't going to do. But in the short run, it doesn't matter what reality is. It doesn't matter what the truth is. It just matters what everybody believes. And if everybody believes the lie, then it's that lie that's going to set the prices. And it was a lie that caused the dollar to go up, that caused gold to go down. But now, slowly, people are starting to figure that out. They're starting to figure out that it wasn't true. Now, initially, a lot of people are going to try to say, well, it was true, but something happened. Something that nobody could have predicted happened. And this, we had this great recovery, but it's just kind of gone off track because this unexpected bad thing has happened. And so all we have to do is more of what we did before. We just need a booster shot of stimulus. Let's just cut rates a little bit. We'll print a little bit more money and we'll get right back on track. And then we'll be able to take it away. Then we'll be able to raise rates. Then we'll be able to shrink our balance sheet. But you know what? There's an old saying, you can fool some of the people some of the time or some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And I think the Federal Reserve is going to reach the end of its limit of its ability to fool all the traders all the time. They are going to wake up and it's not going to work the next time. So when the Fed has to crank up the printing presses, it is going to blow up in their faces. And what that's going to mean is they're going to have to print even more money. Because as the dollar starts to fall and inflation starts to rise, that's going to cause a mass exodus out of U.S. Treasuries. And the Federal Reserve can't allow that. Because to allow Treasury rates to rise would put the Treasury in a position where it can't even pay the interest on the debt, let alone retire the principal. And of course, it would crush the housing market because that would send mortgage rates up. And the Federal Reserve is trying to preserve the bubble in the stock market. It's trying to preserve the bubble in the housing market. It's trying to preserve the entire bubble economy. You know, even Donald Trump recognizes the severity of this bubble. He's talking about the fact that a, that a massive recession or a very massive recession is coming and that the whole economy is a bubble. And he's absolutely right. The only problem is what he's talking about doing isn't the solution. The solution isn't to erect walls or to impose tariffs. That's not going to bring our jobs back. That's not going to make Americans productive. We have to dismantle all the rules and regulations and taxes that have produced those trade deficits, that are the reason that the jobs have gone away. There's no magic button that we can push. We can't just hire better negotiators. We cannot negotiate our way out of this gigantic hole. 
We're going to have to save our way out of it. We're going to have to produce our way out of it. And we can't do that with all this government. So we need a massive change. But unfortunately, none of that is, is, is in the offing. All I see coming is more of the same. But the, the traders that have been pressing these bets, that have been buying the dollar, are going to wake up and realize that they were wrong. The thing is, they're all going to wake up at the same time. All the people that have been betting wrong are going to realize, and they're all going to try to move from one side of the boat to the other. They're going to try to get rid of their dollars. They're going to try to buy gold. And you know what? It's not going to happen because there's very few uh, people to take the other side of that trade because everybody's on one side. And, you know, it takes two to tango. And if you're a seller, you need a buyer. If you're a buyer, you need a seller. But if everybody is already sold and they want to buy, who are they going to buy from? Who's going to sell to them? You know, so you're going to see some huge moves in these markets. This is just the beginning. And these moves are already big with barely anybody trying to get on board. Can you imagine when all the people that I hear talking about wanting to short these gold stocks, what if they want to buy them? Or all the people that think that this dip in the dollar is a buying opportunity? What happens when they realize that it's been a selling opportunity all the time? Because it's not just a dip, it's the beginning of a huge collapse. The only thing that everybody's been hanging their hat on, all the bulls who believe in this phony recovery, are the jobs numbers. And yes, we still keep producing 200,000 or so jobs every month. And yeah, the unemployment rate is still down at about 5%, but so what? None of that reflects a strong economy. The unemployment rate is low because so many people either don't have jobs because they left the workforce or they settled for part-time jobs. And the only reason we create so many jobs is because they're part-time jobs. You need a lot more part-time jobs uh, because part-time workers work fewer hours. And the reason we're creating so many jobs is because so many workers now have two or three jobs. But they'd rather just have one good job, but instead they have two or three lousy jobs. That makes the president look good, but it doesn't make the economy look good. But you know what? We can't keep adding part-time jobs indefinitely. At some point, we're going to start to print bad jobs numbers. We're going to start to lose non-farm payroll jobs, and that unemployment rate is going to rise. And once it starts to rise, there's going to be no stopping it. It doesn't matter what kind of stimulus they have. It doesn't matter if they rev up the helicopters and they drop money out of the sky. The jobs are going to keep disappearing. Businesses are going to keep shutting down. Stores are going to keep closing because Americans are broke. They have, been, they have borrowed all the money they can borrow. They don't have the income. They don't have the net worth. They don't have the savings. And when the dollar tanks, Americans aren't going to be able to afford to buy anything anyway. In fact, the price of oil, I mentioned, is up 20% so far this month. Everybody was excited when the price of oil went down because they thought this would be a big boom to consumers. It was a big boom, but the problem is there were so many other things weighing the consumer down that all the cheap oil did is prevent him from drowning. But now gas prices are rising along with everything else. And as the dollar tanks, the price of oil is going right back up because it was never about you know, fracking and a huge uh, increase in supply. It was all about the dollar. It was all about the strong dollar undermining commodity prices, undermining global demand because everything is priced in dollars. And the strong dollar was putting pressure on all these emerging markets. But once the dollar starts to go down, all that pressure is relieved. All of a sudden, gas prices come down, global demand goes up, and the prices are going to go up. And people are going to be surprised at how high the price of gas goes. And not just gasoline, the price of everything else. 
And of course, then the Federal Reserve is stuck because they keep talking about this ridiculous 2% inflation ceiling. Well, what happens when we get to two and a half? What happens when we get to three, four, five? The Fed's not going to do anything. But one of the reasons that the dollar has support is because people believe that if inflation ever picks up, the Fed's going to do something about it. In fact, that's the only reason that currencies benefit from higher inflation. It's because of the perception that the central banks will raise interest rates to put out that fire. But when people realize that we're incapable of putting out that fire because it'll, it'll light another one that the Fed doesn't want any part of so that the inflation fighter will just burn unchecked and get bigger and bigger and bigger, then higher inflation isn't going to be good for the dollar. The dollar is going to tank because people will realize that there's nothing the Federal Reserve can do to stop it. You know, Paul Volcker stopped it. He stopped inflation. He raised interest rates at 20%. Is there any way that Janet Yellen could do that? No, they can't even raise interest rates to 2%, let alone 20%. So when this cat is out of this bag, this is going to be a major, major currency crisis. And unfortunately, the currency crisis slash economic crisis that's coming, and maybe it'll start before Obama leaves office, just like the financial crisis blew up on the last year of the Bush administration, or maybe it's going to be an inaugural present for uh, Donald Trump or for uh, um, or for Hillary Clinton. But this crisis that's coming is going to be much worse, much worse on an order of magnitude, kind of like a Richter scale, worse than the financial crisis of 2008. Because the combination of bad uh, fiscal policy and bad monetary policy, particularly monetary policy, but also you know things like Obamacare, all the things that the government and the Federal Reserve have done over the last seven, eight years have made the problems so much worse. Meanwhile, the debt has gotten so much bigger, the leverage has gotten so much bigger, and the number of players, the financial markets, are so much more out of whack based on a false expectation of what is likely to happen. I mean, this is worse. These are bigger imbalances than we had leading up to the 2008 financial crisis. Fewer people are prepared for what's going to happen. And when it does, it's going to be a major economic upheaval, much worse than what we had in 08 from the perspective of the average American. And if, you know, sure, investors had a tough time in 2008. The average American, not so much. I mean, the economy has gotten a lot, of, lot worse for the average American since the crisis. But during the crisis itself, you know, it, it wasn't that bad. I mean, investors lost money, but, it, you know, the dollar went up. So things got cheaper. People got bargained. People got to take advantage of lower prices. This is not going to happen. When you have a currency crisis, when the dollar is collapsing, when the cost of living is going up, and then people start to lose these part-time jobs, you lose your job and the cost of living goes up, this is going to be much worse. The only question is going to be, have we learned our lesson? Are we going to approach this problem differently next time? Or are we going to pour more gasoline on this fire and just burn this economy to a crisp?